2: Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, Friday Night Lights, a Northampton Town audio show. I'm Tom Reed and I've managed to drag the usual Wallet crew away from Sixfields, where they've pitched up camp ahead of a season that doesn't start till next month. First up, is Andy Bodfish, who was found in the East End Shell, wailing for the Dane Oliver. How are you doing, Andy? Getting yeah,
1: sorry. Yeah, just coming to terms with the news, obviously. But yeah, fine.
2: Yeah, it was, a bit, it was a bit of a shock. I, I know you are out in the East End Shell doing your primal screaming to get over it, but I think it's sometimes better out than in, isn't it? Just get it all out and just sort of move on.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the, the news came out, didn't it? Sort of late afternoon. And uh, I mean, let's be honest, it's a blow. It's a big blow. So just just come into terms with it, really.
2: Yeah, we'll, um, we'll have a chat about the Dane in a bit. He's uh, a character in the in cowball and the. Big- integral part of it but uh, you know we, we're used to it Cobblers players. players come and go especially in promotions Groundhog Day um, next up it's Martin Maloney who we I found pacing the West End concourse while chanting Keith Cowell's Barmy Army his face was covered in cold balty pie it's just like a normal match day eh Martin?
4: Yeah interesting times in the off season um, as always you know I think we know from all the pre-playoffs, I'm a big fan of aint Oliver. Perhaps a different view, though. These are big boys' games. You offer contracts what you think someone's worth, and there'll be other players available. So for all my sentimental attachments to players, I'll wait to see how it plays out.
2: You haven't taken it quite as badly as old. Andy was in the stand. And Then last but not least, there's no Jake Moore tonight. I think he's still recovering from his epic rant last week about the uh, state of mm-hmm. Cobblest of, of discussions about the trust. We've got Ian Brant, who on hearing uh, Oliver had left, locked himself in Cardo's broom cupboard and was seen vigorously polishing the Mournsell Cup. That's his
0: excuse anyway. You all right, Ian? Yeah, I found some interesting stuff in there actually. I'm going to pass it on to the um, relevant authorities. In terms of trophies, there was never much
2: in that trophy cabinet because I remember like how those are used to have these like uh, videos and stuff, and they were like the Montzall Cup would be there, and there'd be <laughs> someone's up, someone like an old tanker the one off Bullseye. and that's about it. <laughs>
4: let, me, let me tell you, you your Liverpool's, your AC Milan's, your Madrids, your Barcelona's. How many Montzall Cups have they got?
2: <laughs> exactly, the Montzall Cup. The, the Mortal Cup is often the is often been the sort of like trophy we'd win, and it was you know like. Present a, an image of like a really bright, bright hope season, and then we just do terrible. we beat be Kettering or Rushdie or something, but, uh,
1: yeah. Yeah, well, then it would always often be the sort of first image on you know the first home program of the season, wouldn't it? Russ Wilcox grinning proudly holding the top,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think uh- he, was, he was my canal boat buddy last week, wasn't
1: he? <laughs> <laughs> He's a bit of a what do we call it, a friend of the pod in a sort of one of these cult ways, Russ Wilcox. You on.
0: gotta get you gotta get him on the boot room pods, Tom. Get Russell Wilcox on. He'll have
2: some stories. But the problem is, like, if he goes on the canal boat holiday, well, he you, he might have some really boring stories about the Muntzall Cup and just like bore you to the tears about when he be. Uh, yeah, but that's
1: fine because because then we take him down the pub with F on a lad in Little Brick Hill, and then uh, yeah, we, we get all the stories out.
0: He'd have some great stories about drinking in Tipkin Club with Eddie McGoldrick and, and Dave Gilbert and Dave Longhurst and all that lot. So, no, it would be good.
2: So uh, basically, Andy's going to use Elad to get Russell Wilcox drunk and then just get the story rolling. It just seems fair enough, really.
1: Get him up on the pool table. <coughs> <laughs>
2: And then uh, obviously Elad will be wearing his shorts and bomber jacket, which you know, the story will never leave me. You when know, I'll you, you know, that's it's, it's just an amazing ensemble, which only Elad could carry off. To be fair, in, in, in sort of quite like how the way he just, you know, destroyed the field when he was in, in his pump for cobblers, even though Martin said he was terrible, and I will never forgive him for that. But <laughs> let's move. Let's move on, guys. It's turning into an Alan Partridge rant and the argument with myself, like when he invited Chris Ree around. A barbecue on the Alan If you remember that one, and he just had this rant and argument, and he ended up like shouting at Chris Rea. Classic episode. But yeah, let's let's crack on with a bit of actual discussion of stuff rather than just general nonsense. Um, yeah. So Vidaena Oliver. Left this afternoon, joined Gillingham. Obviously, an integral part of success last season, especially in the playoffs. Martin, you start, mate. What do you think of him leaving? Do you think he's a replaceable, or do you think it's a you know a bad thing for the, the club?
4: I think I don't I think things are too often one ex, one extreme or the other. Oliver started started quite slowly. Seemed a bit of an odd signing. Wasn't needed at Morecambe. But as he got into his stride, I thought he became a fantastic player for us. I think his his effort, his work rate—you know—he didn't score too many goals, but he absolutely, I think he he became almost the heartbeat of the side. When we were on when we we're on song and McCormack was playing, it's like you know with that strong spine down the side, it, it felt not quite unbeatable, but really, really good. But you know the, co- the Cobblers would have made an offer. And we talked about the market. I think when we were talking about Keith Curl's future a little while back and I was very much prior to the playoffs, I was in, no, we've made progress. We should keep him almost whatever, but my whatever was, there'll be good managers out of a job who you'll get for not a lot of money. There will be lots of players who are very good, who will be our, you know, be playing that role for us next year. So I think, yeah, I'm sad to see him go, I was he was a particular favourite of mine. I like those players who maybe haven't got the most ability in the world but give you everything on a day.
2: That makes sense, Martin. Andy, what's your take on it? Because we talk about money ball a little bit on, on the show. You know, Brentford Frida are big proponents of that. And, in terms of getting good value for money in players that are probably underachieving a little bit, which Oliver clearly was at Morecambe. Do you think it's going to be that easy for Keith Carroll to pick up another target man of with Verdane Oliver's skill set. I
1: agree with Martin when I think we both had Verdane as player of the season, was impressed with the way he, I mean, the way he finished the season, how important he was um, in, you know, the last few crucial, you know, playoff semis and then the final, uh, an integral part of the team, sort of a figurehead by the time, you know, Wembley came around. Not that sort of hardened to the realities of everything that you don't... You don't like the idea of, you know, the, this sort of very successful group sort of mucking in and going, here, we've got something, lads, you know, like 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 the boys in Escape to Victory at half time. You know, let's stick around. We can win this. Him and his agent have sat down and they've decided what he's worth. They've spoken to the club. There's been a discrepancy. He was always going to be in the shop window with a way, as, as indeed. Well, we're seeing the slow dismantling of that side that won the playoff final. Um, they're all in the shop window. They're at a certain level in the game. They know their worth. They're footballers. They've got a small. They've got a small window where the spotlight's on them. And right, we've got to make hay while the sun shines, and that's what he's done. It's a shame that he's left the club, but um, you know, I mean, Keith Curl had, sort of has built up that track record really with, with bringing the likes of. Dane Oliver in, and um, you know his strike partner Callum Morton last season. You know why? Why can't we just sit back and say, well, you know, we'll back you to do it again. Sure, and that's a, that's a good point in terms of these were Keith Cowes
2: players that he brought in, so they were sort of a gimme for him to to, to an extent in terms of he signed them, and we probably without without Keith would we probably wouldn't have um, scouted them. So they're brought in under his watch, and if they have to leave on his decisions on a budgetary decision, you know, I just we we'll just have to accept that, I guess. Um, and we talked a lot about continuity uh, from last season and the, the, the re-signing of Keith Cole. Pleased a lot of people in, in that respect, but it just seems to an extent that, and probably for no fault of Keith Cole's own, that Keith Cole's stayed. We've got cont- continuity with the manager, but a lot of you know the players seem to be on the verge of leaving or have left. So are you concerned about that con- continuity and building a fairly new side for the
0: League 1 campaign, Ian? Exactly. How many times have we seen cobblers get promoted and then the team gets broken up? We've all been supporting the cobblers for a long time, and you know you hope this time it won't happen and you, you can keep that continuity. Uh, I think you know League One and League Two, the, the the contract length is always short, so you don't tend to get many um, Sam Hoskins that play at a, stay at a club for for all this time. You know, you, you, I know it's always been a bit a case with. With with the cobblers like down the years anyway. You know, it's quite rare for anyone to like notch up that many appearances and stay at the club for that long. But yeah, especially when we've had success, you do get used to people going. But, you know, we we'll just have to hope that Keith can get people in. He did it, he got he built a successful team last year. You just have to hope he can he can do it again this season. But yeah, it would have been nice to hit the ground running really, with the bait, the, you know, the, the core of the same squad. But it's not going to happen, is it, from the looks of things?
4: I think what I think is, is interesting and is certainly different to last time is last time kind of Wilder went, um, <clears throat> Holmes was always going to go and someone else came in with their own ideas. Where on earth did those ideas came from? I will never, to the to the end of my days, know. But this time, I think we've gone up. A, we've had two lone players that have been amazing for us And he's been very clear he wants back. The the other players, though, that have gone, have been players with the exception, I think, of Oliver, who he said, for one reason or another, I don't want to keep here. Um, So it feels like you can never expect to have the same sort of 14, 15 year to year, because absolutely, as Ian says, the contract lengths, the average contract length is probably about, 14 16 months it's definitely less than two fewer than two years so you know we get used to kind of change but it feels like a maybe it's just spin on curl's part i don't know but it's like well i've got two loanees have gone higher level but i want to try and get them back if i can i've made an offer for someone to someone for what i think he's worth and i've let these go it feels almost like he's in the driving seat there with these negotiations Mm. so you know i'm a glass half full kind of guy i'll kind of take that as a positive
2: yeah i think we've got to face the realities of what is going on with with covid as well Uh, i think most lower league clubs are actually in a battle for survival there's talk of let's sign this person let's sign that person we've got to keep this this person and that person but when we look at the realities of uh, the, the lack of turnover for the football club and the way the economy, the economies going nationally, and with spikes happening here and there with COVID, we're lucky we're signing anyone really, and anyone that leaves, no one can really argue because you know we can't be carrying players on money that's going to do the club kind service. Of disservice. So, from the Dane Oliver's perspective, I've got, I've got. No upset whatsoever about him leaving, really, and I can understand him leaving in this situation. Any person is going to take the best offer they can get. They're going to look after their family. Don't know where he lives. Maybe he wants to be further south, uh, Gillingham. But you know, no, fair play to him for what he did. Like Martin said, the contracts are short in football, so he's got to get the best deal. And the one thing that I do laugh at—it happens every time a Cobblers player goes to another team, especially in the same league—and there's a bit of a sort of a feeling of. You know why has he gone there? Cobblers fans knows he's out of joint. It would be nice just for once if we didn't have fans saying sort of like casting aspersions on him. saying he wasn't that good anyway. We can do better. You know we're not. He's not that good. You know we've done better. We've done a good deal by getting rid of him. We'll get someone better. It'd be nice just for once to say he was a good player. We could, we wanted to keep him, but he chose to go somewhere else for his his own reasons. So you know that would be my only thing about it. But that's that's I think that is Cobblers fans do make a. Our experts I, sort of still, re- dig when
4: people leave. I don't think I don't think you need to. I th- I think that's that's a great point. I don't think it's unique to cobblers, but there is that kind of I dare I say juvenile. Oh, you know, didn't didn't really like him anyway. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong being magnanimous and saying he fancy somewhere else. It's a big move for him to go further south. He's he's Sheffield based, so I'd suggest that you know if he's going to play in Kent he's been offered a significantly better deal by Gillingham which you know that's, that's fine you know every club is working to their, their budget and signing players in you know these ridiculous times when they've, they've probably no idea what their income is so you know you know, good, good luck to him um, and you know good luck to Jules for taking a chance at him I think he's a great guy but we all need to kind of realise this is people playing for their, their families for their livelihoods and all that. And it's a job, you know, we'll, we'll go and support teams. We'll give people stick. But, you know, let's let's get real. And
1: understand. I mean, you just say let's get real. I and mean, certainly with, uh you know, sportsmen and well, you know, the, the football world, you you know, life's about moments isn't it? and, and seizing in the moment when when there's a little bit of heat on you. And the way the the way the cobblers have, have performed this summer um, post-COVID, I mean, you just have to. There's an element of opportunism, isn't it? But I mean, you just you just said it. He's he's human, and um, it, it, it take a very principled and um, financially financially secure individual to say, "No, actually, I'm going to stick with this project here because um, you know because I like the ethos and so on." I mean, you know, get real. He's um, been offered more money,
2: and I just think um, the club have to be looking at. Being existence next next year and the year after, now, that has to come first. So I don't think anyone's arguing with Dan Oliver moving on and just you know wishing him, wishing him well and uh, that sort of topic moves us on to our next little point of discussion and we're going to talk about. Uh, Cobblers players that have left, you've been gutted to see them leave, because quite a few people have got to see and Oliver leave. So, back the memory banks about, you know, when someone's left and left you, left you feeling particularly bad about it. We'll start, with, we'll start with you, Ian. What player left Cobblers and left you ruin it?
0: I think the first one for me, when I was a young lad that kind of, you know, still learning about the game and everything, was uh, Richard Hill. Yeah. And I, I remember I had, I can't remember if it was shoot or match, but I bought it. <laughs> I, knew, I knew he was going, but I bought yeah. it. Um, and there was a photo of him, like, a, you know, a, a cut out poster of him in a, in a Watford kit, like wow. posing him. And he, and he was still a Cobblers player. Um, but like, then it dawned on me, It's like, wow, look, he's playing in, you know, he's it, it, off. And he was our big, you know, superstar, wasn't yeah. he, that season, getting all those great goals. And, mm. and uh, yeah, you know, that was like, I remember my dad saying, Yeah, they will, you know, if they have anyone half decent, the thing about the cobblers is they will, they will end up selling them. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, and he was the first of, of many, wasn't he? You know, I mean, that whole squad, I mean, when you look at it in retrospect, it's similar to what we were just saying. He, fair play to him, you know, they, the spotlight was on him because they were doing ever so well and they took opportunities. And we've said it before on here, haven't we? Graham Carr kind of, um, Acted as their agent unofficially in a lot of cases. And fair play to them. Fair play to Trevor Morley for going to uh it was it was Manchester City initially, wasn't it? And and uh it was good, wasn't it? and um you know Eddie for going to to um to palace initially and 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 everyone else who went on to Bigger, Better things. But yeah, as a kid it kind of destroyed my innocence. Richard Hill destroyed my innocence. There you go. That'll be the headlines. <laughs> There's a headline, the headline for Northampton tabloid. The headline of like the the, the supermarket retail magazine is going to be um Martin Maloney, in come and get me, plea to to Sainsbury's, and uh, yeah.
2: i right, uh, Morrison's after you. Free transfer, Martin. You're gonna have to accept it, mate. Because like we said, there's no there's no security in in jobs anymore. Just take the, the Morrison's offer.
4: But 27 years and counting you know it's, it's been a, a, it's been a sam hoskins star career for me at tesco
2: <laughs> but yeah but um, richard hill like you were lucky to see real superstars on the And they were of, of course in division four or whatever but in that in that then that small bubble where then that that season eight six eight seven, they were superstars and to see yeah. i can imagine seeing richard hill who you probably thought oh, he'll be here for Cobblers for a couple of years, just go down the road to Watford must be a bit of a kick in the balls, really. So I can understand that. Is there any others, Ian,
0: or has he just got, got the one? No, there's tons. I mean, you know, <laughs> Adcock, Barnes, that was an absolute blow, wasn't it? Um, uh,
4: Adcock and Barnes up the a six oh five for not very much. Yeah.
0: Yeah,
4: that's,
2: that's it. it. That's it. Man, who's your... Cobbler's player, you you still miss to this day, and you were upset when they left.
4: Um, I think um as as Brandy says, it's like there's there are loads, aren't there, that you you regret. I mean, might you know one of my big ones would be twice Bayo, you know, for the for the character and what he what he brought the the quirky ones, guys that came in and for a short while were great, but then were let go and never did anything, anything else. John Hodge. Was one of my he came in and was I think yeah. had half a, a season and a half maybe and he was oh, he was a terror. I think the one in his he's the current player doing very very well. That that pissed me off more than anyone was Ivan Tony. All of the others, you know, I think were either manager, you know. An inept manager like Boothroyd couldn't cope with the personality like Hacking Fenn will let him go. Well, Boothroyd's a manager. He says who comes and goes. I, I kind of respect that. Even if I even think the bloke's an idiot, it's a bad decision. When we were selling players for 200, 200, 250 grand back in the 80s and early 90s, in order to spend that money to strengthen the side, I'm kind of fine with that. When it was a player that the manager just didn't rate or that, you know, Ian Henderson, you know, what is he 37 now? He's scored goals everywhere all his career, except for one season that he spent with us. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. Ivan Tony, though, young player had done really well for us. Some of the fans maybe didn't didn't warm to him too much, but he scored goals. He was developing, you know, he was, was he 20 when we let him go? 19 or 20 we let, we let him go for not very much Newcastle. But we did it purely to cover up, you know, pay the wages for a, for another month. Went to Newcastle, no sell-on fees, anything. Bummed around him, didn't, you know, didn't quite find his feet anywhere until, you know, that mob up the A605 got their hands on him. And now, you know, Celtic, Premier League, sides, Rangers all looking at him thinking this is a bloke that's worth spending sort of eight figures on. And that's the one that felt like we knew he was potentially really, really good local lad. So, you know, that obviously means a lot to a lot of us and we just let him go on the cheap. That one hurts more than the ones that were just like, that's a rank bad decision, or we didn't spend that money very well. That was for all the wrong reasons. And, Every time he's banging him in for posh, mm. it's just like oh god!
2: It's like a dagger to the heart every goal that goes goal, goes in, isn't it? And it's especially as That's an a lot of daggers <laughs> without East scoring. Yeah. scored against <laughs> the daggers and it's a dagger to the heart. But he's in the Eastern Eastern Districts lad, lad as well, like you, Martin. So it's just a bit more raw, isn't it?
4: With, with it's, someone solidarity
0: yeah um, right he's a cobblers fan as well isn't he he's a a cobblers fan and he loves the town and everything and you know the circumstances were your mind's right it was a disgrace and um you know I remember talking to people at the time who knew him um you know because you know people locally whatever and they were sort of saying he's a kind of he's in the dark as much as as we are, I you know, his kind of his fate is being decided for him in a way. I think you know he knew that there was interest in him, and obviously, like any player, he wants the best for his career. But yeah, it was it was it was horrible. But you know, you can't help but wish him all the best. And the sooner he's out of Peterborough, the better. So I hope he does get his big money move. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. uh, I remember his dad used to come to the games. Got a nice family, uh, you know, very supportive of him, of him. And yeah, I can I completely agree with mine. We have to move on from Ivan mean, Tony it's just too upset to talk about um Andy who's yours mate
1: the one I didn't have to think about when um you know you mentioned that that's what we'd be talking about what was Richard Hill I was straight there but I mean Ian has just articulated it far better than I ever could um being the age you know we were at clearly similar ages um and so I, you know I remember the picture that, that Ian's talking about I even remember I mean Two hundred and sixty grand, was it that he went to Watford for? And I can remember having those same conversations with my dad, um, sort of, and the, oh no, this perfect world is slowly sort of falling apart, and thinking that amount of money, my God, you know, my, you know, my ten-year-old head couldn't get my head around it. So that was what I didn't even have to think about. But I, I, a little bit later on, I know. I know why he went and he was because uh, of the age and stuff. But I mean, when, when Ray Warbur went to Diamonds with, I mean, is it more Carl Heggs really? Because it, what, what it represented really? Yeah. Um, at that time. So what was I early twenties? And you're getting more of a consciousness clearly about how the, the game works and so on. And, you know, you getting a little bit older yourself and, you know, you've, you've got a job and, and whatnot and you start to understand people's motivations a little bit more. And it's more what that represented, really. You know, the new kids on the block in the area with money to burn, the shiny new stadium. And all of a sudden, that sort of brand new, fresh club without much organic heritage. Yes, I know, you know, two clubs with their own histories came together and so on. But Rutland and Diamonds itself was only... 6 years old at that point i think um and you know there they are <laughs> taking players that i mean more so in Heggs's case um because he was sort of in his prime then what 27 28 um and you know moving just up the road to diamonds to do something for them it was kind of like oh this is a bit of a brave new world and i'm not sure i'm completely on board with it you know a, a, a tale for our times i guess easy, the diamonds
2: easy come easy go um <laughs> I have a Cobblers player that I, I sort of was sad when they left, and it's a lot more current. You know, I didn't I didn't lose any sleep over it, but it's quite sad. And I actually, he just signed uh, for having a more Waterlooville, a guy called Joe Choffanet, who is a local kid who played for Cobbers. I think he joined the club about twelve or something like that. Went through the youth system, um, scored loads of goals. Just wherever he has been, he this guy scores loads of goals on loan. He just never got really got a chance to play for the Cobblers first team. Um, got released a couple of years ago. Went to St Albans. Uh, finished up top scorer in the National League South. Now he's been signed by uh, having or Louisville who've got Danny Cable up front as well. Really ambitious side. And just I find that sad sometimes when you've got a, a guy with clearly some talent. We'll see how good he gets, but don't get a, a game in the first team. Like doesn't even get to show it at the club as a child so that was a sad one for me and i, I wish him all the best because he's a good lad that gave a lot of youth in the football club um, and then the actual from my, my proper answer proper proper answer is um bradley johnson actually i was, I was sad when he left because he was a real bloody good talent really good mid-center midfielder and he, he left probably similar to the couple of other players we talked about just a bit too soon we didn't really get the full transfer value out of him and you guys remember Bradley Johnson? Just a very skillful left-foot midfielder.
4: Yeah, scored <clears throat> scored a wonderful goal at the Liberty Stadium. Probably one of my best memories of him. Mm, um,
2: Long Rangers, he scored a lot, didn't he? He could pout it a ball, couldn't he? My dad actually put a bet on uh, him to play for England. He saw he, My dad's a very good scout, actually. I remember him watching probably one of uh, Andy Bodfish's uh, World Feeds. He was watching the German under-17s one week and he went there's this guy called Meza Ozil was called Ozil he's amazing and I was like yeah yeah that's another one of your like findings you know you're your great players and then he was going about this kid called Ozil Ozil this, this guy's gonna be amazing and then eventually Ozil plays for bloody Germany and I'm like is that the guy you were mentioning at the Toulon tournament or something like that so um my dad rated Braddy Johnson as well and he was like you've got to put a bet on for me. He's going to play for England, this kid, because he came to watch him for Cobblers. And I was like, oh, I'll put a bet on for you. And I rang up Ladbrooks, you know, the special bet line. These have a bet, like <laughs> for bets. And I rang it up. Halfway through, I got cut off. And I was like, oh, I can't be bothered to ring this up again. He's never going to play for England. And then uh, it was in the news. It was like Bradley Johnson's on the radar of England. And I was like, oh, my God. I haven't put this bet on, but Doug's going to expect like a thousand quid back or something. Luckily, <laughs> uh, he never played for England, so I've got away with that one. But um, yeah, that was a that was. I think America looked at him, but uh, yeah, just a, a great player who um, you know played for some really good clubs, Norwich and you know, Derby. So yeah, he was a player. Yeah, we, we, those those sort of players that we really need to keep if we're going to progress. We would let go of them too soon and.
1: That might be a case with Charlie Good, actually. Yeah, but there wasn't there? Um, oh, I, I, what World Cup would it have been? There was, there was chatter about him. Was it America? Did he have American heritage?
2: Yeah, America. Yeah, America. Yeah, there was talk of America, and I thought at least that gets me off the hook because he plays for America. That's a void bet with England, so I'll be fine. Yeah, some good, some good players there in that in that list, and um, but we get used to it as couple of fans, don't we? We get used to these sort of short liver affairs of certain players, and they're just gone. Right then, pleased to be joined now by Northampton Town Supporters Trust Chairman Andy Roberts to discuss the latest attack between Coleman Thomas and Supporters Trust. How are you doing, Andy? Okay, thanks, Tom. Good stuff, mate. Yeah, it's um, good to talk to you and have you on. It's been a bit of a interesting week with um, a couple of statements, one from Sports Trust, and then an open letter from the football club. How have you? Um,
3: have you found past weeks been quite difficult? But you seem quite resolute about the role of the sports trust. Yeah, it's been a it's been a busy week and an interesting week, um, as I think everyone's well aware. Certainly regarding the east End completion and the um, potential land deal around six fields, this has been kicking around for quite some time. But matters seem to have been brought to a head really since um, I think it was a BBC report um, suggested that a deal wasn't far off. Um, which came as a bit of a surprise, I should say. And since then, we've had to refocus our efforts on getting uh, more meat on the bone, really, in terms of the detail to see um, whether what's being proposed represents um, a good way forward for the club.
2: Yeah, I read the supporters' trust statement and we talked about it quite extensively on the podcast last week in terms of asking pertinent questions and, and transparency. And we had a really good discussion about it, actually. And it, it just seems that the supporters trust, you know, aren't, aren't wrong to be a- asking questions. And a lot of it just revolves around transparency, doesn't it, for you? Your, your maybe you know,
3: questions about what's going on? Yeah, I mean, transparency is the is the, the key theme or the key message, if you like. Um, for the last however number of, many number of years, um stuff's been kicked around but there's been very little detail very little openness about what's being considered and that's just something we've been pressing for consistently really um that all parties you know we want a good deal for the for the for the club the owners for the people of northampton whatever comes forward but um i think in light of where we were five years ago and and the problems with the uh, cardoza regime which have been well documented um which were continually cloaked in commercial confidentiality i think we need to move on from that we understand that certain things need to remain confidential um but we can't risk um the fact that um, a deal might go forward without proper scrutiny again i don't think that's um reasonable and fair to either the football club supporters or the or the taxpayers of northampton so we're just pressing for for more information, more detail, so that everyone everyone can see it and judge for themselves whether what's being discussed is a good thing for the club and for the town. I think it's
2: it seems reasonable that the sports trust is is doing its job in holding the club to account and asking questions at this stage might actually be quite fruitful because let's face it, the, any sort of land deal is going to have to go through scrutiny and you know the the, the borough council. Um, votes and stuff like that so it actually might be quite helpful now for some of the answers questions get answered and before things actually go to a more more public sort of Northampton level so it actually might prove strangely quite sort of useful that these questions have been asked now um Kelvin Thomas sent you a reply to uh, the the trust statement an open letter this week uh, following on from the trust communication with regards to six of land deal Seems an interesting opening gambit for Calvin to mention, um, and I quote: "A lot has been said and written about the trust agenda and negative narrative." And that was Calvin's opening um, to his letter, really. And um, he it, it, it didn't mention that there was a potential trust agenda, or you know what could be considered a trust agenda. It, it was written as the trust agenda, so it seems just a bit of a strange line for what elsewhere seems to be a conciliatory letter. Um, we won't go into. Mm details before the the trust and club have met Um, Mm. and it seems there's a meeting with the council coming up and you know you took took a bit of flack for the response um, to the letter and probably what seems to me a bit sort of slightly over the top but which mentioned you know you've got a meeting with the council and can you talk a bit about you know the, the way
3: forward, and you're going to speak to the council. And yeah, I've seen a few of the comments on on social media, and a lot of people um, suggesting we should. You know, the response was a little bit um, cold and non-committal, and we should be um, jumping very quickly into into meeting with the football club. And we we would like to meet with the football club and also the council, obviously, to get some more detail and and understand the detail um, better. But we have a meeting with the council later this week. We think it's the best way forward to have that meeting, see what the council have to say. And then if we have any further questions on the back of that, we can hopefully arrange a a, a meeting with the football club and certainly answer the points in in Kelvin's letter more fully um, once we've been able to make a considered response. That seems pretty
2: reasonable. Ian, what's your your take on the the response from the football club to the trust um you know questions about the the land deal and and uh, after that the response of the facts that certain number of fans Ian.
0: it was an open letter <clears throat> which yeah okay one of the things the trust mentioned was transparency and i suppose you can't get much more transparent than an open letter so that's fine um for me in a way i don't know andy do you feel it was progress that that, the the club had actually kind of responded and and and, and written to you directly in that way
3: um yes i I would think it's progress in a way in as much as the fact obviously i think again it's been well documented that relations sadly between the club and the trust have not been great for the last 18 months and in engagement has been well nil to, to put it bluntly so to, so to receive a letter at this stage was was a, was a pleasant surprise and hopefully a constructive way forward that's the way we certainly um, look, look at it and um, in the same way as we look at a meeting with the council as a way forward of finding out a bit more detail behind what's proposed.
0: Yeah because that was kind of my take on it that I mean like We, we talked on, the, on our podcast last week about the fact that we didn't want a repeat of what happened under Cardoza. Now, obviously, mm. in the events that led up to the initial deal being done um, with NBC, Cardoza back then wouldn't have needed to send an open letter to the then head of the trust because, you know, they were on the board and they were there and they mm. kind of, you know, waved it all through. Um Mm-hmm. effectively mm. and as you say you know if it, it, it felt to me when i saw that that in a way well it's progress because the club of have, have, have deemed it necessary to to send this open letter and they kind of just were showing that they wanted to engage and i actually mm. f- felt that that was progress because it felt to me previously leading up to this that they didn't actually particularly feel it necessary to engage with the trust yeah. so i actually felt that you know, like you said, you, you've got to be a, a, a friend of the club, but also, you know, you've got to sometimes ask difficult questions. And I felt that, you know, the fact that they needed to respond in that way, that it kind of showed that you you had asked some difficult questions. And but, yeah, it was, it was good in a way because they felt the need to respond to it. Yeah, I
3: think that's that's all fair comment, Ian. And um as I say, hopefully this is a stepping stone now too. You know, a lot of people will be out there quite frustrated, as indeed we are, saying, Oh, you know, the East stands maundered on for so long, the trusts say this, the club say that, or the councils will say this and or don't say that. And it just goes on and on and on. And we need some some resolution. So I'm you know, finally coming to a point now where hopefully we can all sit down together. You know, that's one thing. I will suggest to the council on Thursday is that if it helps, you know, let's all sit down the table together, the the trust, the supporters rep, the council, the football club and, you know, just thrash it out, you know, and um, hopefully we can all move on from that.
0: Yeah, the other thing I wanted to ask, Andy, I, I, I know the Trust will make a, a full, you know, response to the, the statement, to the open letter from the chairman after you've met with the council, but there was a bit in there about where where um, the chairman sort of said, well, you know, why are, why are the Northampton Town Football Club Supporters Trust interested in the wider Northampton um, community? Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, like I said, I'm sure you'll respond to that, you know, in, in good time. But one, one thing for me, um, that I notice from you know looking online and various other things is like, I I do feel that it is important that the rest of the the town um, uh, and the the football club that there's a there's a better link because there was a lot of negative um, you know negativity around the club because of the way you know that 10 million kind of went missing. So my my take on 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 that aspect was that you know we weren't we don't want the rest of the town to hate us. (laughs) So we do need to, even though we're massive fans of the football club, we do want, you know, we do want the rest of the town to sort of, this deal to be in the best interest of everyone to kind of prevent that kind of thing happening again, stop the taxpayers of of, of the town hating us and, um, you know, build better relationships with the community and then potentially expand the fan base. I don't know if that, you know, I don't know if that's along the trust line of thinking
3: very much along our lines of, of thinking Ian. Unfortunately the, the Cardoza scandal um, set back the concept of local authorities supporting their local sports clubs. I mean me personally, I'm a great believer that um, local authorities shouldn't give private sports clubs money but can maybe facilitate loans and and other areas to to support and help them because I think sports clubs, football, rugby and cricket in Northampton are a massive asset and, and bring a huge profile to the town from which the town benefits. So I think there should be um, that sort of relationship there. As I say, the Cardoza scandal, I think, set that back, unfortunately. But certainly one thing we're looking at is in, in time, we would hope that the Cobblers would become um, a, a, a club more at the heart of their community, not in terms of community work, that they they do. They, look, they do a lot of good work, but a, but a, a signed up, Uh, more fundamentally with maybe other sports clubs and and other organizations all working together for the benefit of the town that's something we'd like to to see and and to answer kelvin's point in in the last part of his open letter where he says why are you interested in 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 what how the, the town benefits you should be talking about the football club well it's for that reason we are talking about the football club and um and per se the town itself and not least the land issues around six fields which um historically um football club had a leasehold on um certainly going back six years ago and we would hope those could be restored so that that land is used for the benefit of the the football club and the sports supporters in northampton rather than say any other industrial development which again um, northampton might need but might not have that same community benefit
2: that seems Quite sort of sensible and reasonable, um, Andy. I guess you've got a good chance now to bust a few myths surrounding this so-called in inadvertent commerce agenda that's been mentioned a few times. I, I, i personally think that sort of language is quite decisive and, uh, and nuanced Talking about um, agendas, agendas of the supporters trust. Um, you know, in the same light, if we're talking about agendas, you could, you know, potentially say that club have an agenda in issuing a land deal which I don't think is true cool. so cool. Cool. It, just, it just seems like a, a red herring to me that this sort of this sort of language and agenda and maybe you can you know, put that to bed once and yeah. for all
3: yeah it, it's it's a word that's banded around quite loosely really Kelvin will say we, we have an agenda around um, community ownership uh, if I can address that first again it's no secret and it's been ongoing for probably three to four years, the trust has or is looking to explore potential community owner models for Northampton Town to protect the club um, in the future. That's not saying that the present ownership, um, it's something we decided we wanted to do while the going was good, rather than when the club found itself in crisis, to, to best prepare ourselves for whatever may be round the corner, and not least since COVID-19 and the, and the basket case, you know football finances that we see certainly in the premier league and in and the championship filtering down and the demise of of clubs like historic clubs like berry um we need to be um as best prepared as we can um so we are preparing a com- community ownership model should hopefully not but should the club once again fall into crisis as has happened a few times in the not too distant past so um, I struggle to see why we should be criticised for that because I think we're as part of the supporters trust looking to protect the club we should be you know looking at all these contingencies and, and doing our best in this regard I mean to say that we're actively looking to take over the club um, is, is nonsense really and I think even you know those who would expand that argument uh, would would
0: agree that it's nonsense. Yeah but Andy um, you know I was looking into this you know prior to speaking to you like for me, the, the, there's been two times really when you've seriously thought about fan ownership in the last few years. One's the obvious one, you know, and I was at one of those meetings at the the park in um, back in was it 2015, wasn't it? And and you were talking about it then because at yeah. that point it was looking like it may be one of the the few options left. And then I think later at the meeting you did say, well, actually Kelvin uh, Thomas's has got a a uh, uh, you know he's reached yes. an agreement with cardos so it you know at that point there was you know that's the route that the club went down and then and then the second time this has come up it was after the 5U sport um failed sale wasn't it where it was am I right in, in thinking that that's when you started thinking well you know clearly there's plans to sell the club um what the surely the fans should have a say in that I mean that that sale it almost went through. And I am I right in saying there was there was zero consultation with the trust on that one. Yeah no that that's
3: that's absolutely right. Um the first we learned about the five sport sports sale was when it appeared on the club website. So there was zero consultation.
2: Yeah, that was that five sport period was a very difficult period and um especially when you know the things started to unravel on that level but um in terms of the i think the problem is is that fan ownership is not even the correct term for what the the trust has been looking at you know um it seems to be fan ownership used to be seems to be thrown around like some sort of pejorative term um so there's two points to that in that the trust have been clear that it's taking a look at community ownership as a fail safe in time of crisis or club sale which seems really sensible especially with you know that football fans is them as they are and then the second part of it is that the trust never seems to have advocated a straight 100% fan ownership model which you know AFC Wimbledon are doing successfully in clubs like Exeter approach it but instead the trust have looked at a hybrid community ownership system which allows outside investment but retains you know protections for the club and the community so um, this thing oh it's all about fan ownership and stuff like that It just seems, it just just seems it just seems like a red herring that Takes away from the actual pertinent questions the trust is asking, don't you think, Andy?
3: It does. I mean, we, as part of the work we've done, we, we've looked at all sorts of different models and consulted with different clubs who are either in um, community ownership or have experienced it, and it's been very, very interesting to see the, you know, the wide variety of models that exist out there. Um, i mean i think it's fair to say we're quite taken by the the model that operates in the german bundesliga the 50 plus one model um and that we would favor any any hybrid model really um involving the trust and obviously investors who who want to come in and and hopefully take the club forward that's that's i think where ideally we would pitch this should the situation arise but it's
2: i think it's important to understand to listeners that maybe panic a bit about any sort of talk of community ownership and prefer like a what I call a god figure in charge of the club that takes care of everything and you know you just get on with sporting the club which is fair enough that any community ownership model would would have to be done really by a vote and consensus so nothing could ever be forced through so it doesn't hurt to be discussing and talking about things in a reasonable way and that's what I felt um, last week We we had a really good discussion with the podcast crew about about just about the, the sports trust in general and uh, i think the, the problem is and other people have alluded to this is that it seems to be a discussion of extreme so either the trust are, you know whatever or, or the you know the the club are aren't doing their job probably or but it's, it's fine mm-hmm. just to sit in the middle and just hold back and i think more fans should just do that it's just listen to what the club have got to say listen to what the trust have got to say and make a balanced sort of appraisal don't you think
3: i yeah i agree i i I wish that that would happen um really and um just you know for people to hopefully sit back and 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 take stock of take stock to be fair
2: um but yeah i think it's important to remember that although sometimes it feels like an argument of extremes i don't think people are actually too far apart in their in their opinions and their beliefs everyone wants to the best for the football club. We're all, you know, on the same team, and I just think that it just needs a bit more of a reasonable discussion. And let's remember the trust order. You know, volunteers got spend their free time trying to look look at the long term health of the football club. So I think, you know, it, there must be a bit of a not that you're too bothered by, it, but there must be a bit of a you know a personal cost to an extent that you're you've given up a lot of your time to do this, and you get you get it in the neck more
3: than most, you know. <laughs> yeah, probably. But you develop a, a thick skin, or you have to develop a, a, a thick skin. Yes, we're all volunteers, and um, sometimes you do question whether whether it's all worth it. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all Cobblers fans, whether we're trust members or not, whether we believe in community or not. Um, what unites us all, is fans, and we all want what's best for the for the for the football club. It's also worth just having a. Quick discussion on
2: one of the memoranda of understanding from between the council and the football club, and there's one on the, the council website. I think it must have been around 2015. I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong. On that. um, That's wrong.
3: Right. Which discusses the
2: football club? Oh, sorry, it discusses the purchase of the football club, which um, NTSC Ventures Limited. Um yes and it basically, the memorandum of understanding I've put on the Twitter and stuff and it says the following, um, the Football Club will establish arrangements with the Sports Trust for their involvement in the Football Club as soon as possible and the latest by 31st of March 2016. Now Mm -hmm. we don't want to get into the ins and outs of you know to what extent that was, if that was signed or um, to what extent it's it's been kept to to an extent but I think it's something that adds another sort of layer to the, the story of getting where the trust is now with the football club is, is that that, you know, working relationship uh, that's been put down in a formal memorandum of understanding is probably not as good as it could be. And is that something that you'll be, you know, looking to try and improve a bit, of a proper working relationship?
3: Well, certainly, Tom, I mean, we we need a proper working relationship with the football club, um, what I would call a a meaningful relationship. When you refer to the memorandum of understanding, um, in fairness to Kelvin Thomas, I mean, he made it quite clear to the trust at the very outset that um, he didn't envision I should a member of the supporters trust being on the board. He didn't think that was feasible or practical. For the last eighteen months or so, well, um, the engagement hasn't really been there, and the relationship has broken down, which is a shame. And, and we we need to look to restore it.
2: I think it, it it does boil down in a lot of ways to the loss of the supporters' trust role on 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 the board, and you know it it would be quite a, a classy move from the football club to at least. Talk about reinstating that and trying to create a, a a proper formal relationship, working relationship, which was very hard fought by the um, late Brian Lomax and his mm. colleagues back back in the in the nineties. And uh, sometimes when you don't have that official role, that communication can sometimes break down. And I think that would go a long way to to help things. But you know, we'll see how that goes. Mm. But I guess mm. in terms of the redevelopment itself one of the sort of slight concerns is that there hasn't been much detail about what you know in terms of what the football club will sort of get out of it in terms of facilities um there's no been no plans put on formal public display there's been bits of information here and there and um is it is that an an idea situation is that something that maybe you'll be asking the football club to talk about is what 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 facilities are that will the, will the club uh, get from this deal? Obviously, there's commercial sensitivities, but maybe it, it can be discussed, you know, over an NDA or um, just, you know, to get an understanding of what facilities are actually going to be, what's the capacity going to be, is the stadium going to be able to be expanded uh, after after it, or sorry, is is is, the, is the going to be able to expand be expanded after it, or is it just a sort of a standalone construction that will need to be demolished going forward if they want to
3: increase the Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting questions, um, Tom. And I mean, essentially, this is what um, um, the thrust of our argument is in trying to get a little bit bit more information from both the council and football club about the detail of the deal. Um, I mean, the information that was in the more recent memorandum of understanding, um, which we acquired through the freedom of information, gives a little bit of structure. But as you say about the East Stand, you know, it's been the bugbear for the too many years, really, and we still have no real idea what that East Stand will look like, and um, and we uh, and we have an argument as to what it should look like, and um, you know, there's no detail around. Um, are they going to just build on the existing structure, just put more seats in? Are there going to be boxes in there? Is there going to be a Conference um, facility, or even the hotel, or or anything added on onto the land behind. Mm. Um, There's just no there's just no detail. There's an argument to say that it might be better for the whole structure to come down and you start again from scratch because what was there before wasn't really that satisfactory. All very valid arguments and discussions to be had, but as yet we haven't got any detail, and that's why we're pressing for a more open and transparent look at what's on the likely to be on the table. Sure, and that sort of,
2: I think that sums the situation up a bit in terms of um, just just wanting a bit more meat on the bones of this of the thing now because the there obviously are plans there they seem to be going along fairly nicely from club's perspective and it can't go to to the stage where it, the, the the plans are you know go to go to the council and then are just there sort of like, like a lump here that, that there surely has to be some discussion with the supporters trust even in 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 private just to answer a couple of questions and then and then maybe you get a better working relationship and you get a better, you better, better way forward but to, to have so little information out there is just not ideal for any sort of uh, healthy relationship or you know a, a football club with yeah. the history of
3: ours you know well Exactly. And that's the telling point, really, isn't it? And commercial confidentiality will be quoted, as, of course, it was um, during the Cardoza years. And, of course, that didn't end well. And while we're not suggesting that um, this isn't going to end well, um, I think we, we need to learn the lessons from the past. And certainly as far as six fields is concerned and potentially public money is concerned, we need to be as open and transparent as possible.
2: Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, Andy. And thanks for taking the time of coming on the podcast. And hopefully in the in the, the weeks ahead, there can be a meeting between the trust and the club, try and um, move things forward, a bit of give and take on both sides and just get things a bit more um, cordial because it's not good for any of us. We're all on the same team, as I said before, and we're all supporters the club. It's not good for any of us to have a, a situation with each other's throat. It's not, it doesn't reflect well on anyone. You know, the football club, the owners of the football club, might feel quite secure in their plans, but with fans on Facebook, you know, <laughs> it's like that, it's not, it's not a good scenario, and we need to try and make things a bit better. But that that will come through better communication and, and transparency ultimately. So we'll see how it goes. But you know, thanks for coming on.
3: Not a problem. Pleasure. Thanks, Tom.
2: Yeah, we'll speak to you, mate. Take care.
3: Okay. Thank you.
2: Cheers, mate. bye, bye Talked about a good few things today. We're gonna wrap up with a little bit of a, a segment, a little musical interlude. Maybe uh, one of your answers might be our little trad jazz quartet we talked about earlier in one of the previous podcasts. But uh, we're going to talk about, a, we're going to make a Cobblers playlist, right, of songs that either remind you of Cobblers or send the Cobblers up. Talk about like, like a Spotify playlist, so to speak. Um, we're going to choose three songs each, raid the musical memory banks of music, I right, listened to over the years. So we'll start with uh we'll start with you, Ian. Let's have three cobblers or three pop songs that remind you of Northampton or
0: I'll get I'll get the two obvious ones out of the way, Sixfields Boys and um rising to the top. They are obviously, you know, <laughs> they, they're, they're not they're novelty tracks, but you know if that's not going to remind you of the Cobblers, then what will? And this, the third one is that uh, '80s classic, "Never Going to Give You Up" by Rick Astley. Mm-hmm. Obviously, obviously, because of our, uh, you know, because because of our loyalty to the club, we are never going to give them up, no matter how bad things get. The other thing, I've just got vivid memories of them always playing it at the County Ground, standing on the hotel end and playing it, all on the cricket side, or I even remember. Do you remember when the Spine Cup they used to um, have it for home fans? Um, for a period, and they used to put the away fans in that, um, like, cage, basically, <laughs> next, yeah, yeah. next to the, uh, yeah, I remember, I remember, I remember. I think it was my mate's, um, my mate, um, his birthday party, we went and watched Cobbler's um, play uh, for for his birthday treat, and um, yeah, I remember standing on the spine cop and, and Rick Astley reverberating around the stadium, so like we're talking maybe, what, 88, 89? yeah isn't that like a perfect image
2: or not? a quite a surreal image of away fans being locked in a cage I know. listening to rick astley something kind I of think, a
0: I, no i think there was a headline in the Chronicle echo like whoever we played their fans had complained and there was a quote to the Chronicle echo report and it said you know we felt like caged animals in there it was a disgrace you know why should we make, be made to watch football in these um, conditions? <laughs> Were
2: well, they just complaining about the uh, standard of football?
0: Just I watching dare. the cobblers, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah they put in this terrible football in a cage. You're like it's worse. I've, I've been in a zoo. Probably yeah. A zoo. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. You know, Rick Astley. That's a, that's a classic one. I can imagine that. You know, ISIS standing in the highland, and I can imagine that. Sort of uh, blasting over a dodgy tannoy, a bit, uh, you know, and the never worked that well, didn't they? But that's a solid one. And the other two you chose, like Sixfield Boys, you know, no one outside of Northampton's had that one, but uh has a lot of um, fun memories, doesn't it? And uh, Rising to the Top, I remember that from the, I told you before, like my brother's mate gave me the video. It was called Rising to the Top, the video, wasn't it? And there was a uh, the song on it, and it was just uh, a really good sort of, it well, was not really good, but it was like a rock sort of anthem, wasn't it? An 80s rock anthem, it sort of summed that up a whole period of. That's right, yeah. So some quality, some quality change from you, Ian. Uh, let's go with you, Andy. Who are your three songs?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you know, sometimes it feels like heaven, uh, which is probably, uh, yeah it could often be a road to nowhere. But um, <laughs> I'm going to have to go with um, sort of Big Mountain. Uh, I was thinking about it the other day because it came on Heart um, 90s. Nice. Um, and, oh, Baby, I Love Your Way, which was... <laughs> Which which was a big track in uh, in the formative years, but you know, yeah, I love the cobbler's way. You know, I, was, I, was, I grew up with it. Just you, you go with it. Uh, a bit of a personal one, really. Um, number two, probably Bet of from a distance, because um, you know, for, for for six years I lived I lived outside the country, and um, you know, there are holes in 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 sort of cobbler's viewing um you know from the uh so we're talking 2000 to sort of 2006 and thereafter you know with the job I, I I do um I basically I sort of didn't want to be um watching the cobblers I wanted to be working because that's what I was doing for a lot of the time so you know there are gaps and it's 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 a lot of um it's it, it's very educational for me to listen to a lot of the stories and you know the sort of behind the scenes um tales of um of certainly the, the 2000s and the early early 2010s, I would say. And then obviously, you've got to go with um, some of my favourite 80s artists, uh, Cecil and Linda Womack. Teardrops, I mean, yeah, it's just, you know, there's there's just a lot of emotion involved with the cobblers. And then, of course, it's a case of dry your eyes, mate. Um, Andy, so, you know.
2: Andy, tell us some lyrics from Teardrops that you can remember. Tell us. Tell us. Uh,
1: teardrops, teardrops on the dance floor remind me, baby, of you.
2: Ah, tune. I like that one. Yeah. Know. yeah. I I, 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 so on and so forth, you know. You're from a distance because you were stuck in that cage in the accounting uh, ground, weren't you? <laughs> <of the> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Martin, come on. You're, you're, you're into music. I, 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 um, I know you'll have some good ones.
4: Um, yeah, I had, I, had a, I had a few thoughts. I don't think I will sneak as many lyrics into into it as, as Andy did <laughs> or song titles. <laughs> But um, I did, I did kind of come down a three. So the first one is just kind of a what, you know, what song puts me in mind of being a teenager in the hotel in the mid sort of late eighties, and it's got Yaz and the Plastic Population. The only way is up. Just mm. hearing that play as it was getting sort of five to three, and the teams are going to be running out, always gives me gives me kind of goosebumps just thinking back to yeah, think. back to those times. And I think. Um, probably without being political or commenting on other current events, uh, huge fan of Roddy Frame and Aztec Camera, and I do think a lot of us, and I'll put myself certainly in this, in in kind of this group, when things started to go awry under the Cardoza regime, um, some of us tended to kind of just it'll be all right, you know, kind of think we're a little bit oblivious what happens? So i'll go oblivious from aztec camera nice Nice. And, and then i think the other one though for the one that you know because i guess one of them's a good thing one of them is a bad thing and maybe god let's hope the same thing don't happen again but it's kind of the one the one constant so you know i've watched cobblers since i was about i think first game 84 80 83 84 maybe i got took when i was about 10 10 or 11 um 86 87 i was hooked so since then I've, I've kind of left school, I've gone for unemployment, jobs, um, I've you've been through relationships, everything. And yet, what what's the one thing you keep going back to? It's the cobblers. So I kind of think the cult she sells she sells shank, sanctuary. Ah, uh, yeah. So I said That's badly, true. but it's almost like that thing that says, Well, whatever is going on in your life. Like Andy said but you know, you you work abroad you know it's it's almost a thing that you go back to Mm. and while it always changes fundamentally it's always the same and it's just a safe place to go to
2: yeah that's that's a
4: nice uh to that
2: answer um a good tune as well that's that's really good i've had a little think about it well. i had quite a few um I've gone sort of more lyric based that sort of resonates with Cobblers, and the, my first one is um, quite uh, current, actually, with all the uh, sort of arguments between Cobblers fans and the rigmarole of all this off-the-field stuff. Uh, Joy Division, Love All Terrace Apart. What a classic tune. Really yeah. real resonances of the terraces as well. And I just like the lyrics. Uh, when routine, I won't do it in the uh could it's, see it's too monotone. but when routine bites hard and ambitions are low and resentment rides high but emotions won't grow and we're changing our ways taking different roads love will tear us apart again i think that's uh that's quite a sort of a uh, beautiful lyric especially resonant about you know the argument between cobblers fans at the moment i think andy said wrote to nowhere didn't you andy
1: yeah, it's a great track. I love that track.
2: I'm I'm going with and I think I, I don't I don't know, but has anyone else been watching Top of the Pops nineteen eighty nine? Because I think Yaz was on that and it's a great show. It's just like it's just a part in the past. It's on BBC on Friday nights, you should watch it. Like just a whole year's worth of Top of the Pops like each week and uh, the music changes. Um and two of my other answers were actually on Top of the Pops nineteen eighty nine. The first one is Road to Hell by Chris Rio <laughs> For obvious reasons, because we are all on the road to hell as cobblers fans, and there's just no, he saying. lives in the area, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. And I think I mentioned at the beginning, didn't I? Alan Partridge had an argument with himself about going to his barbecue. Um, but just a, a great <laughs> tune, and I just I love seeing Chris really on top of the pops because he's just like someone's dad, just like drearily strumming his guitar and singing the song Road to Hell, and I think that's a great tune. So,
1: was, was it a top of the pops where the original presenter was? was it was okay to be left in or was that was that an edited one
2: no 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 yeah no it had people like um Amphia turner jenny powell okay, like,
1: great. Oh, you know, oh great
2: andy crane so yeah they all went on to other things but
1: oh, did, just, did andy crane do top of the pops as well
0: yeah yeah, there was a, there was a big crossover of sort of presenters as well because that's the thing. That's a good point, actually. They they because they they kind of show it in real time, don't they? Or sometimes they'll show like two episodes a week, but yeah. then they'll skip. Like especially when it was the seventies and eighties, they'd skip um, loads of weeks, and it's because, like you say, they couldn't. There's there's more than one, wasn't there? There's was more than one presenter they couldn't show, and then I yeah. think Mike Smith had never given his permission for the episodes. <laughs> um to be shown before we uh suddenly passed away so um yeah like you'd go yeah jump from like june 1984 to like august 1984 all of a sudden because they'd have done like three or four shows in a week and then dlt or someone would have stepped in you know what i mean so but now i think yeah we're in safe territory hopefully
2: i think 89 89 was it was quite a safe year and it's just um don't want to get too much into sort of music history and stuff, but it was a really good year for, so you could see music changing. So you you'd have yeah. some sort of earlier sort of soul stuff. And then you would start moving to more dance. You'd have the happy Mondays um, appearing. And then my other answer, which is stone roses, uh, going down because <laughs> that is what we all, uh, fever cobblers. And we've, uh, you know, been on the verge of going down for, for quite a number of years in various sorts of ways. And, uh, uh, the lyric made me laugh. I was like, let's look at the lyrics They're Going Down. I don't know if you've heard the song. It's like, it "Goes we're going down. Um, and one of the lyrics is, to look down on the clouds, you don't need to fly. And my answer to that was, no, you just need to be uh, a ball kicked by a Keith Cowell above the clouds. <laughs> so, uh,
1: right. oh, I'm, still, I'm still processing the information that Andy Crane once presented Top of the Pops. Yeah, he but did. That, that's a piece of pop culture trivia that I'm annoyed I didn't know. Stone Roses appeared on Top of the Pops that year,
2: 1989, yeah. Um, yeah. and they just give the performance where they just didn't really care. It was really quite cool. They were just like too cool for it. Um, who else was that year? There was Ride on Time, Black Box, with the one of the worst lip, syn- lip syncs you'll ever see. No, i better yeah. watch you. Uh, just, yeah, I real like, it's worth watching because the, the, the music's changing more to like the dance scene and stuff, and yeah, some wicked tunes on it, so if you've, uh, you can get it on the iPlayer, but yeah, um, yeah, three tunes that uh, eyes cobblers quite well uh, Level Terrace Apart, Road to Hell, and Going Down <laughs> by the. So that's my three. So I I'll, I'll put it together in a playlist. It'll be the most weirdest playlist ever if we can get hold of Sixfield
0: Boys. I don't know if we can. But...
2: <laughs> I've got it on tape. I don't know if anyone else, I've got it on tape, Sixfield Boys.
0: Well, I know. I, t- I think I said before, I know I know the lead singer. He used to be my Sunday League um, manager. So. Uh... I'm sure he'll be uh, there's, there's absolutely no doubt that they'll that he'll have a copy of it trust me I remember when um you know when we were saying he did a re a new version of it for 2013 there was um messages on the forum like on, on the hotel and going oh yeah don't you think they should release um Sixfield Boys I'm thinking hang on a minute John you're the one who sang it, <laughs> <laughs> it so yeah yeah, like I said, that was um, that was Seb Howes' um uncle.
2: Oh yeah,
0: in
2: a, in oh, yeah. Is he the one that wrote the classic lyric Keith Hackett instead of Chris Hackett?
0: I think he was. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, David Reddy is one of the best. That's still that's still
3: a line that uh, resonates with me, like really funky uh, line. But
2: yeah, a tune that it just means a lot to Cobblers fans because it was just out of a time, wasn't it? When Ian Sampson could get on the drums and just bash away, and just really have it just seemed normal. Would you have it happening now? Would you? But I'll um, I'll put these songs on a little playlist. I might put them on Spotify. and We can uh, yeah, make our own. We could add to the Cobblers playlist as we go along as well if we think of any more songs. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up now because we've been talking for a while, and just want to say thanks again for Andy Roberts for coming on and talking just a little bit. I know he's. Got a lot to do, and you're meeting the club soon, so we're really appreciative of that. And perhaps next episode, we'll talk about what people would want to throw in the new six fields uh, cage. So that could be our. <laughs> but thanks a lot, lot guys, for coming on, and we'll um, we'll, we'll
4: talk next. Week. Magic, brilliant. Cheers, all. See you guys. Take it easy. Love yourself.
2: See ya. You. Bye, bye. Mm-hmm.